Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 6. Romans, chapter 6. We have been, over the last couple of weeks, emphasizing our theme for this year, uh, which is simply abide. And it's taken from John, chapter 15, where Jesus teaches us that we are branches of the, the main vine, if you will, that he is the vine and we are the branches, that our purpose is to bear fruit for the Lord, that God has things that he wants in our lives. He wants uh, spiritual fruit to be produced in our personal lives. He wants us serving and reaching others. God wants to do things in us and through us that are only possible as we abide in Him, as we walk with the Lord and allow Him to work through us. And so we've emphasized that over the last few weeks and we'll kind of continue to do so throughout the year as we consider this concept of abiding in Christ. And I want to look today at a passage of Scripture that uh, may be familiar to many of us here, and one that I think is encouraging, and yet at the same time could potentially be discouraging. It's one of those passages of Scripture that from a purely theological standpoint, we can uh, read it and be encouraged and say, Amen, I agree with these things. But from a realistic and practical application standpoint, often we find ourselves maybe scratching our heads and wondering, if these things be so, why is my life like this? And so if you're here in Romans chapter 6, uh, I'll invite you to stand as we read the scriptures together, and we'll begin reading in verse number 11. The Bible says here, this is speaking to believers, people who know the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has just been talking about how as Christ died for our sins, when we received him as Savior, we died with him, and now we have new life in Christ. So look what he says in verse 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Listen to verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin ye became the servants of righteousness. I want to preach to you this morning on principles for a victorious life. Principles for a victorious life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you and praise you for this powerful and extremely encouraging passage of Scripture. But Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to consider the truths that you have before us and 
that as we apply these things to our lives, we may experience true victory in the way that you would have us to do so. So, Lord, help us today. Give us understanding. Give me clarity of mind and of thought as I preach. And give each of us listening hearts uh, to hear your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I mentioned at the beginning that this passage of Scripture is one that is speaking to the child of God. It is speaking to those who we would refer to them potentially as believers, uh, those who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have been born again, as the Bible calls it. And he describes in this passage of Scripture that those who have been saved are dead to sin but alive unto God and that we have freedom from the bonds of sin in our lives. This is something that is only true of genuine believing Christians who have the Holy Spirit of God living within them. The Bible describes to us in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that those who are lost, those who are unsaved, are actually kind of at the mercy of Satan. It says in verse 26 that they are taken captive by him at his will. Speaking of Satan, that, that they are literally brought into captivity uh, whenever Satan pleases. Certainly, as we look at the world around us today, I think it's fair to say that many people are in bondage to sin. You don't have to live in this area very long to notice the people that are uh, walking down the roads and, 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 and are pretty obviously and clearly uh, under the influence of drugs or at least alcohol. And, and this is a major problem in our world, in our society, and even here locally, it is a major, major issue. People are in bondage. People are in bondage to drugs, alcohol, substance abuse. People are uh, uh, addicted to, sadly, things such as pornography and sins of the flesh and lusts of the flesh in that way. Uh, people are in bondage to their anger. Uh, there are men potentially even sitting in this room today that you strive to do better, but you find yourself constantly flying off the handle and blowing up, and you can't control your tongue, you can't control your temper. This is a problem. People are in bondage. Sin is binding. Often throughout the Bible, we find, in, for instance, in the book of Proverbs, that uh, it, it uses uh, sin, it tells us it's like a snare. A snare is a type of a trap that gets a hold of you, and the more you fight to get out of it, the, the harder it squeezes. Sin can be that way, and many of us here have felt that before. We have been in bondage. In fact, the Bible describes in Ephesians chapter 2 that before we were saved, we were actually spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. We were not alive unto God. We were dead in sin. But I want you to know that when a person receives Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into them and changes everything. Can you agree with me on that? When a person gets saved, everything changes. That's Bible, isn't it? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And, and the old man literally dies at that moment. And a new man is alive. And it is a spiritual life that we live in Christ. Things change. I'm thankful for that. 
I'm thankful for the change that is wrought by the working of God in me and in you. I know that we could sit here today and give testimonies about the way that Christ radically transformed our lives and even yet to this day is changing us into the image of himself. I'm thankful for that. I'm excited about that. I'm thrilled about it. But if you've been saved for any length of time, there's another reality that you have become aware of. And that is that we have some enemies. Enemies to our spiritual victory. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. This is what God wants to do in us. But the problem is that we have some, some uh, enemies that are actively working against the good things that God wants to do in our lives. Uh, one of those enemies is the world that is around us. Uh, you, you don't live in this world without being influenced to some degree or another by the world. We're influenced on a regular basis by the people that we surround ourselves with. We're influenced by the music that we listen to, by the entertainment that we take in. We're influenced by advertising and sales pitches. And uh, honestly, I think probably the average person is influenced by a lot of outside sources more than they realize. It's amazing when you read some of the stuff that goes on, for instance, in the retail industry and the amount of research that has gone into studying human behavior and figuring out which buttons to push to, to manipulate us to, for instance, make certain purchases or sign up for certain subscriptions. Uh, here's a simple example of that. Have you ever uh, signed up for a free trial for something? Anyone? I do this, sign up for a free trial, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, whatever it takes to get you to use it, enjoy it, and forget that you signed up for it. Because what's going to happen? At the end of the free trial, there is an automatic charge on your credit card, and you go, you, you're looking at your statement, and you go, oh man, I totally forgot about that. There's 30 bucks I'll never get back, right? Or whatever it is. That's a marketing ploy, right? If they said at the beginning, if you want access to this, pay up front, we'd go, uh-uh, not that interested, right? But the free trial pulls us in. They figured these things out. You go through and you figure out these marketing things that they do. And, and I mean, the world has figured us out how to manipulate the, the, the advertising that's put in front of you to appeal to your interests and your demographics. These things happen. So we're influenced by advertising, sales. We're influenced by language. There are all kinds of words that are used today that are kind of just common in society and vernacular of, of the day that weren't around 50 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago. And we see these words just kind of happening in everyday conversation. We're influenced by language. And all I'm saying is the world influences us, doesn't it? Here's the problem with that. Not all of those things are wrong or sinful. But because the world influences us, not only positive influences, but also negative influences of the world rub off on us, don't they? Certain attitudes, certain ideas and philosophies, certain habits, likes and dislikes, and many of those things 
that by which we are influenced of the world are not of God and not for our good. Can I tell you, Christian friend, the world is not your friend. 1 John chapter 2 says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. He says, listen, don't, don't love the things of this world. Don't love this world. It's not your friend. The world's not your friend. And then, of course, we know that there is an even bigger enemy out there, isn't there? 1 Peter chapter 5 describes Satan, our adversary, as a roaring lion who walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And just as God desires in your life good things and, 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 and righteousness and holiness and spiritual fruit, as God is actively working in you to produce these things, Satan is working to oppose them. And he is looking for opportunities to bring temptation, to bring discouragement, to bring lies, whatever it might be, into your way to cause you to stumble and to fall. In that same verse that Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly in John 10, 10, he said before that the thief, and he was referring to, to Satan he said the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And Satan, our enemy, is out actively working today in our lives to do just those things, to steal, to kill, and to destroy us. And so we have these enemies. The world and the devil are very real and active enemies in our lives. And then that third enemy that we so often hate and yet love is our own flesh. Because we ourselves are sinful people. And we still, though in Christ, we are a new creature uh, internally. That is who we are, but we still live in this sinful flesh that is a constant, uh, it's a constant draw and pull to yield and to give in to the lusts of the flesh and to, uh, to fail and to sin against God. There's always the pressure there. And so... For a Christian, we can read these verses in Romans 6 and be encouraged that uh, from a positional standpoint, from, uh, from you know, theologically, we can agree. When a person gets saved, they're free from sin. But on a very practical level, if we're very honest with ourselves, we find ourselves often overcome by sin and struggling and wondering, if I am indeed dead to sin, why do I continually struggle with the same sin over and over and over in my life? Why is it that I have no real victory? If I was truly set free, why is it that I struggle? Some Christians, born-again believers struggle with all kinds of things, and even the things that I mentioned to you earlier, the uh, addictions and the anger, and, and all kinds of things that we could talk about, lying and gossip and foul language, and all kinds of things that ought not to be in a believer's life, but they are a reality, and sometimes it is like an ever-present problem. It's always there. 
and we wonder, why is it that I cannot get victory over this? And I want to say to you that I believe there are some things we find in this passage and some others that we will look at this morning that will help us to gain the correct perspective and ultimately to find victory over sin in our lives. And the first thing I want to point out to you is that the struggle to live a victorious life is a common struggle. The struggle is common. We're in Romans chapter 6. Look with me, if you would, to the next chapter, chapter 7. This is that famous chapter where Paul is, is talking about uh, his struggle between uh, doing what he wants to do and what he knows to be right, and inwardly he desires to do what is right, but outwardly he continually finds himself doing the things that he knows he ought not to do. Uh, for verse 14, for instance, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, not, or for that which I, do I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. And, and throughout the next several verses, he says basically the same thing. It's like this weird paradox of the, of the Christian life. There are some things that I am absolutely committed to and desire to do, and I don't do those things. Then there are things that I know that I shouldn't do, and I want nothing to do with them, and yet continually I find myself doing those things. Why is that? Well, look down with me in the same chapter to verse number 20. He says, now, <clears throat> if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So what is he saying? This isn't a, an excuse or a cop-out like, well, it's not really me. That's just my sin nature. He's not excusing it, but he is recognizing something. When I sin, that's really not who I am in Christ. But I live in this sinful flesh, and that sin is still with me. And by the way, it will be with us until the return of Christ, until we're called home to be with him. But notice he says in verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Boy, is that ever a powerful statement. When I would do good, when I desire to do what is right, that's when I most am aware that evil is present with me. Have you ever experienced that before? You sat out with good intentions. But there was opposition along the way. Uh, my wife and I have <clears throat> set out this year to try and eat healthier and do a little bit better in some of those things and, and work on some health goals and stuff like that. And uh, just about the time that we think we're doing really good, uh, you know, we'll have, have the TV on and some uh, commercial will come on there advertising some really tasty junk food, you know. Or the kids will walk by with some piece of candy they got in their Sunday school class and, and they'll say, you know, sweet kids, hey, Dad, have some of this. You know, and, and I feel like saying, boy, when I would do good, evil is present with me. You know, there's opportunity to do, to do wrong, to give in. Now, that's a silly illustration or example, but I'm telling you that if you have tried to get victory over some kind of a stronghold of sin in your life, you have experienced this. 
where it's like, I, I, I want to do what's right. I'm determined to do what's right. I'm committed to do what's right. And in the, the moment that I strive to do that, a temptation comes my way. Some, some opposition comes my way, and it's just too hard. Notice what he says in verse 22. He says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, that's in my body, <clears throat> warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. <laughs> and he even says, here's the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? If I can give you a word of encouragement this morning, if you are a Christian, a child of God here today, who knows the Lord and wants to do what's right, but you continually find, it, find yourself struggling and, and weighed down with sin, you are not alone. This struggle is common. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Whatever it is you feel that you are fighting and resisting and working against, and you're just having a hard time, just know this, there are others who are experiencing the exact same thing. Now, that is not an excuse, and that is not... Uh, a way in which we say, well, I guess, you know, I'm just a man, I'm just a human, and I can't really help it, so I guess God must be okay with it. Because in that same verse, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. In other words, even though this is a common problem, you need to know that God has a way out for you. And I don't know who's listening today, and I don't know what the stronghold is in your life that you have tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. I don't know what it is, but I do want you to know this. There is hope for deliverance. There is hope to be set free from that. God has made a way. God who is faithful has made a way for us to be free. The struggle is common. But then the next principle that I want to share with you is that the strength is God's, not ours. You see, it is not that we ourselves uh, have overcome or we somehow have the ability uh, to, uh, you know, just look deep down within ourselves and, 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 and try harder and do the very best that we can do and overcome uh, temptations and strongholds and sin. We often think that, we often try and do our best. In fact, I talk to people all the time, and I'll ask them, how are you doing in this area? You opened up to me and said that this is an area of struggle. How are you doing? And the common answer I get is, I'm doing my best. Here's the sad reality, friend. Our best isn't good enough. Doing our best doesn't result in victory. 
doing our best leads us down a path of failure. That may seem strange to us, but it is a reality. And friends, I'll tell you this, that when you strive and when you actually give your all and your very best and you try and you still come up short and you still fail, that is one of the most uh, uh, desperate feelings. There's discouragement and guilt and even anger and defeat. But the answer to our sin problem, again, it is not found within ourselves. For Jesus himself said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But the answer is that we have the Lord. The victory that we have is in Christ. In Ephesians 6, and we won't take the time to go there, but in Ephesians 6, Paul is dealing with the issue of, of standing against the enemy and, and standing against the attacks of the enemy. And he, as he describes the, the, the spiritual armor that we're to put on, the armor of God, before he even gets into that, he says in verse number 10, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It is not your strength or my strength that gives us victory. It's God's. And the ability comes from Him. We're in Romans, but go forward, if you would, just a few pages to the book of 1 Corinthians. The next book in the Bible, 1 Corinthians and chapter number 2. 1 Corinthians 2. I want to say to you that we cannot just reach down today into the deep well of our own uh, wisdom and understanding and intellect, our talents, our abilities, or our willpower and say, if I just look within, I'll find the answers to all of my problems. That's not going to happen. I want you to notice here that Paul, speaking to the church at Corinth, he says to them in verse number four of in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said, I, I, I had determined that I would not behave in such a way to cause you to think that the, the, the solution or the answer to a victorious life in Christ is found in man. I didn't want you to look to me as some giant of the faith and strive to be like me because the answer is not in me. He said, I wanted your faith to stand in the power of God. Friend, I want to just encourage you today that your strength is not found in you. And I am not admonishing you today to just try harder and have a little bit more willpower and a little bit more self-discipline and you'll finally get the victory that you've been trying for for years. What I do want to admonish you and encourage you today is to seek His strength. To find the help that comes only from God and the answer is submission to Him. That's the third principle is that the solution is submission not our strength. The solution is submission. As we go back to Romans 6, where we started this morning, I want to show you in Romans 6, 
In verse number 12, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. And I can't tell you how many times I have read that and thought, yeah, Paul, that's easier said than done. But notice what he says in verse 13, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So often we think, if I just try harder, if I just do better, uh, you know, we, here we are early on in the year, middle of January, and one of, the, one of the things that we've talked about a little bit is New Year's resolutions and commitments that have been made at the beginning of the year and how often those things fail. And I, I know that there have been times in my life that, that I have set a goal or set out to do something, and, and it's always had this little tag on the end. And this time, I mean it, you know? This time, I'm going to get serious about this. But you know what? Often that doesn't happen, does it? We still fail. So much of the Christian experience for many of us was even growing up and hearing preaching and teaching that basically just said, just do better. And that sounds good. And there's some strong and powerful sermons that have come across the pulpits that way over the years. But I want you to know there are times you can't do better in yourself. But the answer is this. Submit yourself to God. Yield yourself to Him. It's not an issue of taking control. It's actually an issue of letting go of control in your life. I was uh, thankful uh, that uh, Brother Gary in the Sunday school class this morning mentioned that when he got saved, he asked the Lord to help him uh, to overcome uh, smoking. He was a smoker, and he asked the Lord to take away the desire for that, and the Lord gave him victory. He wasn't saying, Lord, I'm determined. I'm going to do my very best. I, and I'm not saying he didn't work at it. I'm not saying he didn't try. Well, here's what I'm saying. His solution was, Lord, I can't do this. I need you to do this. And I'm submitting myself to you. James 4 and verse number 7, it says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do we get our enemy, the devil, to flee from us? It's not simply by resisting him. It starts with submitting ourselves to God. It starts by saying, Lord, I've got to take my hands off of this because in myself I am too weak. But I know that in you, you'll make a way to escape. This, this goes back to our, uh, to our theme for the year, abide in Christ. We talk about abiding. We talk about the fruit that God wants in our lives. And friends, it's so obvious and clear that God wants us to be victorious over sin. He wants us to get the victory. But the answer, like so many other things, abide in me. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Yield not your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but yield yourselves unto God. Let me just ask you today, you don't answer me, but answer between you and God. Is there something in your life that you know doesn't belong there? 
something that God would not have for you. You know it's not God's best. You know it's not God's way. And maybe you have even tried to change that about yourself to no avail. I want to invite you today to do something unconventional. I want to invite you to give that over to God. To place it in his hands and trust him for the victory. To yield yourself to him and find the help and the hope that only he can give. And just as a side note here, in case there are some who, who may be listening, that your relationship to God has always been about, I'm going to do my best so that God will accept me. I just want to tell you, just like everything else, we fall woefully short in our own efforts. And the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's not one of us here, no matter how good you might be, you have not measured up to God's standard, and neither have I. And our only hope for restored fellowship with God, for salvation, our only hope for the forgiveness of sins, is to actually turn from ourself, from our sin, and from our own efforts, our good works, our religion, all of those things, to turn from that. The Bible calls it repentance. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart that says, I'm not going to do this anymore. And to turn from that to Jesus, to place our faith and trust in what he did for us on the cross, that Christ died for us and rose again, and that through him and only through him can we have eternal life. And today, if you want to know God, turn to Jesus, and he can do what you could never do. And he'll save you, and he'll forgive you, and he'll give you a home in heaven, and, and he'll give you hope that you've never had. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And today, today, you can have deliverance through Jesus. Let's pray together.